So if you don't know me, uh, my name is Jacob, and I have the privilege of opening God's word for us this morning. But before we do that, please join me as we pray to our great God. Heavenly Father, as we hear from your word this morning, help me to explain it faithfully. Please grow our love and knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ, by your Spirit, through your Word. And as you reveal to us what is true and glorious about yourself, let us cling to these truths and resolve to know your Son, Jesus Christ, deeply. In his precious name we pray. Amen. I want to know this morning... Who here has ever made a New Year's resolution before? Stick your hand up. Who's ever made one before? Oh, a healthy number of you. And now keep your hand up if it worked. <laughs> Nobody, right? Not many people, not many people. It's so hard to do. <sighs> so this is the last uh, time we're going to be in church for 2021, isn't it? And what a year it has been. Oh my gosh, so many things. Are you guys excited for a new year? I know I am. I've already started thinking about all the exciting things I'm planning on doing next year. A new year has so many opportunities. Maybe you've started planning holidays, thinking about what you want to do next year. Maybe you've even started thinking about your New New Year's resolution. Now, I have to confess this morning, I have a shocking history when it comes to New Year's resolutions. One New Year's, I set myself nine resolutions that I wanted to complete in that one year. And looking back, I go, what on earth was this young, ambitious bloke thinking? So I actually hunted down my old journal from 2017, cracked it open, and I found all the nine things that I considered to be worthwhile goals at the start of 2017. This is going to be embarrassing, but get a look at this. My New Year's resolutions in 2017 were to exercise every day, read the entire Bible twice, no ice cream for the entire year, I had to journal every day as well, I had to learn the piano, I wanted to start reading more, I wanted to study apologetics, learn how to handstand push-up, and last but not least, I also wanted to learn Spanish. <laughs> I know, I know, thinking about it, I was reading that list, I was like, this is absolutely ridiculous, mate, what were you thinking? Couldn't even do one of those things, let alone nine. And I think this is the reason why New Year's resolutions get a bad rap, isn't it? It's because people like myself often set the bar way too high and then after a few weeks fail to meet the unrealistic goals we set in the first place. Or maybe you aren't like me. Maybe you don't set the bar high, you just don't set the bar at all. You're just doing fine. And you don't need to set a New Year's resolution because the whole thing's a little bit overrated, isn't it? You don't need to change, so why set yourself a resolution? But as the new year dawns on us and as 2022 comes, I want to encourage all of us this morning to think about making a resolution. And despite what you might think, I actually think there's something that's super helpful about New Year's resolutions. What's great about them is they help us acknowledge that we aren't where we want to be. They help us realise, well, there's a place that I want to be, it's over here, and it's amazing, and I should take action, put in time, energy, and focus on that thing, because that's what I want. And today we're going to look at chapter 3 of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And I want you to keep an eye out and see 
if you can spot Paul's New Year's resolution. Because it's hidden here in this passage. What was his goal? What did he focus on? Where did Paul want to be? And I want to suggest that Paul's New Year's resolution was so strong that I think he would have put down the same thing for every single year. And it wasn't a focus on worldly pursuits and pleasures, about temporary skills and status like my ambitious 2017 list. Paul's resolution was eternal and it characterised his entire life. And my hope for us this morning is that we would all adopt it as our own. So keep your eyes peeled for Paul's New Year's resolution as we read through chapter 3 of Philippians. But before we just jump right into the text, you know that feeling you get when you watch a movie, you see everything happening on the screen, and you just have no idea what's going on? Well, to stop that from happening this morning, I would love to quickly get everyone up to speed what's going on here. Show everyone the prequel so everyone knows what's happening. The Philippians were a group of Christians from a place called Philippi around 2,000 years ago, and a guy named Paul founded the church there, and he wrote this letter to the believers partially in response to a gift that he'd received from them. But this ancient letter is far more than an extended thank you note. Paul wrote his letter to encourage and safeguard the Philippians' faith because the Philippians were under attack from false teaching. False teachers were instructing them that Jewish circumcision was needed for a person to be saved. And that is a big no deal. That's some dangerous stuff. So Paul writes to the Philippians, warning them of these false teachings. But who is this Paul guy and why does he think he can tell these guys they've got it wrong? Surely these religious blokes know about the things of God, right? Well, Paul can incredibly confidently rebuke their teachings. And I'll tell you why. One, because Paul was officially commissioned by the Lord Jesus himself. He met Jesus face to face. And two, because Paul used to be one of these false teachers himself. He knows firsthand the dangers of these teachings after escaping them for himself. And so, he begins to explain part of his own conversion story away from his old life. Philippians chapter 3, verse 5. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Did you notice the last achievement that Paul lists there? And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. This word righteousness is super important as we understand what it means to be saved and brought into eternity with God. And an easy trick that someone taught me on how to remember what it means is being righteous is being right with God. Righteous, right with God. Both has right in it there. But we have a serious problem that stops us from being right with God. And that is our sin. Every single one of us naturally falls short of God's standard of living because we sin. And the law, which Paul mentions, which is God's way of living, it's impossible to keep. And it's fantastic at pointing out our own sinfulness. The law shows us that we don't give God the glory that he's due. 
and we don't love other people how we should. And God is completely aware of every single time you and I have dropped the ball, that we've missed the mark. And our holy God's fair punishment for sin is eternal death. But Paul, he thought he was all clear in God's good books because of that impressive list that he just hit us with in verse 5 and 6. Paul thought that he was saved by his achievements. But I have to confess, when I read through this list about Hebrews and Jews and the tribe of Benjamin, it sort of lands flat for me. Maybe it doesn't for you. But to help us truly understand how impressive this list is, I have two words for us. Usain Bolt. Usain Bolt won the gold medal for the 100-meter sprint for three Olympic Games in a row. That is legendary stuff. He has eight gold medals under his belt and has worked his entire life to call those precious medals his own. It requires a lifetime of commitment, passion, and hard work to pull something like that off. And when Paul rattles off his impressive religious resume, his list of achievements, he's basically saying, look at all my shiny gold medals. Aren't they fabulous? That's how impressive Paul's resume really is. But for some reason, Paul, the guy with a super impressive list of religious achievements, well, he doesn't think his gold medals are so valuable anymore. I once thought these things were valuable. Paul used to think bringing his lifetime of commitment, passion, and hard work to the table meant that God would save him. He saw value in them because he was rightly concerned with where he stood before God. He knows God's completely aware of every single time he's missed the mark. The reality of sin and hell was always present for Paul growing up. The danger and the horror of what it means to fall short of God's righteous standard of living. It really concerned him and it should really concern all of us too. The main concern we should have is how am I going to spend eternity? Paul was rightly concerned with where he stood before God and we should all be too. So to make sure that Paul would be saved, he decided to put in the work to make sure that he was up to God's standard of living. But now after spending the majority of his life clinging to his own efforts, his gold medals that he planned to bring before God, look what Paul says now. But I now consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Not even partially valuable, utterly worthless. The magnitude of this is astonishing. For Paul to consider his religious resume, his past achievements, as rubbish would be like you saying Bolt, throwing away his gold medals, saying, Oh, these old things, (laughs) they're rubbish. Good for nothing, gold medals. Might as well use it for a doorstop because these things are absolutely worthless. Like, bro, what are you doing? You worked your entire life for these medals. Why would you just cast them away saying they're worthless? That's how crazy it is for Paul to say this. But Paul, he doesn't regret throwing it all away because he found something that was infinitely better. Have a look at what he says next. Yes. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything 
else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. He discarded his gold medals, his precious religious resume, that he planned to bring before God. He cast it aside so he would gain what is far better, to gain something of infinite value, to gain the infinite value of knowing Christ. Everything else is garbage in comparison to Christ. That's why Paul would so quickly drop the trash for the treasure, that he would gain Christ and become one with him. And now that Paul has gained Christ, he doesn't need to rely on his own achievements to be righteous before God. Listen to what Paul has to say about righteousness now. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Paul used to rely on his passion, his zeal, his law-keeping, his own efforts to be right before God. But we just read that God's way is a different way. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Faith in Christ is the key to righteousness. I don't know if we actually appreciate how hard it is to become righteous by our own efforts. It's like, imagine you had a spotless white shirt and then you get spaghetti all over the whole thing. And now I want you to try and imagine you can clean that shirt, but you can only use a bucket of black paint. It's not going to work, is it? Because trying to become righteous by our own efforts, it's impossible. But by putting our faith in Christ, we are gifted his spotless, stain-proof shirt. And that is the only way that we can be considered righteous before God. Hear this, friends. God only welcomes the unworthy, those whose own efforts are never good enough. And if you know the depth of your own sin, that you fail to love others, fail to love God how you should then you are in the perfect position to receive this gift of righteousness by faith. And if you put your faith in Christ and you trust that he died and took your place, took the punishment for your sins, then you will be seen as righteous in God's sight. When God, the creator of the universe, squares you up and he looks at you dead in the eyes, he's not going to see a muddy list of mistakes. He will see the spotless white righteousness of Christ covering you. And it is so, so important for us to understand this. This is the gift of the Christian faith. It's not up to a religious performance. It's not up to how you serve at church, how many good things you've done, how many bad things you've done. It's a gift for those who put their faith in Christ. And once Paul had become righteous through Christ... (laughs) It just changed his whole world, didn't it? It gave him a completely new outlook on life. And now we start to get a picture. We start to see what Paul's New Year's resolution is. Verse 10 and 11. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. 
so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Now that Paul has gained Christ, now that he has tasted the infinite value of knowing Christ, he just wants to know him even more. Paul wants to know the power of Christ. He wants to know the sufferings of Christ. He wants to know Christ personally and intimately. Paul wants to plumb the depths of an intimate relationship with the risen Lord Jesus. Now, I have had the blessing of being married to my lovely wife, Jemima, who's up the back there, for over two years now. And when Jemima and I first met, I knew I had found someone of maybe not infinite value, but someone that I wanted to treasure. And as we dated, as I attempted to woo and impress her and the family so that she would consider marrying me. Uh, Spoiler, it worked. Uh, It all went very well. It was a great day. I love being married to you, honey. But it's not as if once we got married, I just lost interest. I said, look, I've got the ring. The deal's sealed. I can just tick that off my list and then get on with my life, you know? Start doing some of those resolutions I talked about earlier. But it couldn't be more further from the truth. Because once I married Jemima, once we gained each other in marriage, I just wanted to get to know her even more. I wanted to spend every day with her. I want to grow old together. I want to walk together side by side, hand in hand, for the rest of our lives. You don't forget about your wife the day after you get married. And this is how Paul sees his relationship with Christ. Paul desires to know Christ deeply. Paul has an inexhaustible desire to know Christ deeply in every way. He just can't get enough of Jesus. But his desire hasn't been completely fulfilled yet, has it? Have a look at the next verse. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things, or that I've already reached perfection. Paul has gained Christ, but he hasn't yet achieved his inexhaustible desire to know Christ deeply in every way. And he's a far cry from a perfect man. So what does Paul do? Does he just give up? Of course not. Because Paul knows the infinite value of Christ. He knows that Christ is infinitely valuable. And you don't just give up on something like that. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing. So, what's the one thing? Well, not that I want to give Paul advice on how he wrote Philippians. But I would find it much easier if he followed this up with the one word or something really simple as the one thing. But instead, he gives us this sentence. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us. So, what's the one thing? I think the one thing is the heavenly prize that we see in that verse there. That's the one thing that Paul is focusing on, that heavenly prize. But, what is this prize? Well, do a bit of detective work. We read that it's received at the end of the race when Christ calls us home. We see God, through Jesus Christ, is calling him to it. 
And once more we know that Paul hasn't received it yet. So it seems that the prize is Paul being with Christ in heaven. When Paul will finally be satisfied with his longing desire to know Christ deeply. When he will be with Christ again face to face. This is the prize that Paul looks forward to. This is what Paul wants. Paul's resolution is that he wants more Jesus in his life. Paul, once he met Jesus, once he had that amazing encounter and understood the infinite value of knowing Christ, he just couldn't get enough Jesus. And there's nothing on earth that Paul looks forward to more than this prize of being with Christ face to face in perfect fellowship. And each step of the race that Paul runs, he just wants more and more Jesus each step of the way. And I think Paul's resolution was so strong. If New Year's resolutions were a thing, he would put this one thing down year after year. 56 AD, I want more Jesus in my life. 57 AD, I want more Jesus in my life. 58 AD, I want more Jesus in my life. 59 AD, I just want more Jesus in my life. Again and again until he reaches the end of the race and receives the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling him and is calling all of us. As we reflect on the year that has been and we come into 2022, I want to ask us, do you want more Jesus in your life? Do you want to squeeze more of Jesus into your every single day? Are you excited to think about the ways you can include more of him in your 2022? And I have to confess, sometimes I don't want more Jesus in my life. I become distracted, busy, I focus on other things. What about you? Do you look forward do you press on? Do you focus? Or do you just coast? We get distracted and cruise through life, busying ourselves with worldly pursuits and pleasures, temporary skills and status, and we lose focus on what is infinitely valuable. Putting others above yourself, even when we suffer as a result. Speaking the gospel even when it means rejection. Spending time in the word and prayer, even when we're so tired. These things, they're all incredibly hard. And just coasting through life, it's so much easier. But focusing on Christ, pressing towards knowing him deeply, is glorious. And we should encourage one another and spur each other on to focus on these wonderful things. And so to spur us on this morning, I want to think about inviting us all to make a New Year's resolution. And I want to call this an eternal resolution because this resolution, well, it extends beyond a year, doesn't it? It extends beyond this life on earth. And so as we round the corner for next year, I would love to invite you to make an eternal resolution to want more Jesus in your life. The great thing about this resolution is that it's for everyone. If you're with us this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, 
then you should want some more Jesus in your life. Believe in him and trust in what he has done. He gave us righteousness by his death on the cross. And he has stored up eternity that we might enjoy it forever. And if you do know Christ, then you should want more of him too. You can never have too much Jesus in your life, can you? He got us so that we might know the glory, the greatness, and the joy, and the infinite value of knowing him. Put others above yourself, even when you suffer as a result. Share the gospel, even when it means rejection. Spend time in the word and prayer, even when you're tired. What are you going to do to get more Jesus in your life? Forget the past. Look forward to what lies ahead and press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. Thank you that we don't have to strive to be righteous by our own achievements. What wonderful news it is for us that Jesus has paid for our sins in full so that we can be right in your sight and can have a relationship with you united to your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray you would work in the hearts and minds of those who haven't grasped the infinite value of knowing Christ. Give them faith so that they can be saved for eternity. And for those of us who are united to Christ, who are secured for eternity, Lord, help us to grow a love for your Son, Jesus Christ. Stir up our affections for Jesus and help us want more of him in our life. In the way we pray, read your word, love others and suffer for the gospel. Let us not lose focus on the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.